Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman. I'm the editor in chief of Modern Retail, as well as the host of this podcast. Thank you for listening. This week, I'm really excited. We have Kyle Widrick. He's the founder and CEO of Win Brands Group, and I really want to talk about the overall. DTC brand portfolio space. Windbrands Group has been around for a while. I'm pretty sure they're announcing some big news this week, so I'm excited to dive into that and just go into what's going on with online brands, especially those that sort of have a roll-up strategy going for them. But Kyle, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? Kale, thank you so much. I'm doing great. Glad to hear that. So uh, for those that don't know, why don't you just give a little background about who you are, what Windbrands Group is, just all that jazz. Sound good? Absolutely. So, you know, Great to be here. Kyle Widrick, uh, founder and CEO of Win Brands Group, as you mentioned, Kale. Um, this is, you know, I've done a couple startups now. This is my third. Um, sold two companies before this. I've been in the e-commerce space for a long time. So uh, prior to Win Brands Group, I had a company called BVA Commerce. And we were one of the first Shopify agencies uh, focused on Shopify in the e-commerce space. So we made an early bet on Shopify before they went public. Uh, watch them go public at 17, watch their stock, you know, trade up to 1500, you know, incredible story in Shopify. And we were there in the early days as a, you know, service provider for them, building websites and doing paid marketing. So we were lucky to work with, you know, MVMT watches, Kylie Cosmetics, a lot of the early success stories. We had a front row seat in watching that. Prior to that, I worked at a a family office also focused on e-commerce. So grew up, my dad was an entrepreneur, had every job in the book when I was young, a young guy, and have become an entrepreneur now myself. Wow. So you've just been living and breathing e-commerce, it sounds like. I really have. I'm I'm aging myself now, but it feels like for the last 20 years now, that's really been been it. You know, commerce, which turned into e-commerce. And, you know, we got lucky in a sense, uh, backing Shopify as our main horse back then um, and really got to see, you know, obviously not every story turns out to be a success, but got to see a lot of the success stories, got to be involved in them from a website provider standpoint, website e-commerce builder. Um, So it's been it's been an interesting ride for us. So how did when brands groups come about it's been around since 2017 that's correct 2017 so um uh, bva commerce the business that i mentioned that we built and sold um after that decided really to take things a step further and what i mean by that is we would see dozens of companies that had really great success and hundreds of companies that had challenges operationally so at the at the agency, if we were doing two things, building websites and then scaling paid marketing, really to do the full stack would require us doing 14 things. And that's how we define it today with Win Brands Group. So could we build out that operational team with experts in all 14 areas and allow brands to leverage that shared team to their benefit? So that's what we've built um, a couple of areas kind of to mention operationally, everything from demand planning to 3PL logistics, um, sourcing product, everything that you can imagine that goes into building and scaling these e-commerce companies. We now have a shared team that offers those services to our brands. What was the first company that you brought into the fold? So Homesick was the first and Homesick will always be the first um, and really interesting company in the sense that 
it's primarily a candle business. You know, that's what we bought it as and that's what it's become, you know, now three, four years later, um, but really built on the sense of nostalgia. So Homesick is, you know, homesick.com, uh, states, cities, memories, candles representing these states, cities, memories. So if you're looking for a gift to buy your friend who lives down in Florida, used to live in New York City, this becomes a really meaningful gift, the content, the copy, all about that specific place in that memory. So uniquely, when we're selling most of these products online, it became a positioning within the candle space where you actually didn't need to pick up the candle and smell it to get excited about it and give it as a gift. So we look at it really as a super gift. Um, folks get extra credit for kind of giving this. And that's a company that actually we bought from BuzzFeed. Um, they had it as part of their holdings back in 2018. Really? And so with Homesick, what was the rubric? What, do you, what were you looking for? Was it a certain, certain threshold or range of revenue, certain runway? What, did you, what made it work specifically for WBG? I think we, we like to say this is all one big experiment. We're, we're doing something a little bit different that hasn't been done before. And I can tell you, we have a better view on that today than I did back in 2018. <laughs> but I really fell in love with the Homesick brand. You know, I knew it was a home run concept. The question was, did we have the capability to scale it? And that was primarily an e-commerce direct Shopify business when we bought it. They had not launched on Amazon yet. So one of the first challenges for us was, and questions that we asked ourselves was, could we make this a successful brand on Amazon? So we pushed on that, and then we took it to retail. And we launched that product at Target. We launched at Bloomingdale's. So really what we look for in these brands is a category leader, number one, that we feel like within whatever category, niche or not, that they can be the leader in that space. Two, some sort of founding team and ethos that we can get behind. And then three, and maybe most importantly, how much value can we add, right? If, if us coming in and partnering with this brand, can we really improve in a dramatic way the scale of this business? And with that business, that's, that's the rubric that we went through and we saw a good opportunity for success. You mentioned that you know the, the the moments of expansion or the areas of expansion for Homesick were launching on Amazon and then launching in brick and mortar, which are things that maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but your work at BVA before were not they were focused more on the e-com side. So did you have to give yourself a crash course? Did you bring on people who knew more about that? Because that seems like the exact facets of the business that you weren't focused on before. That's exactly right. So it was a little bit of a crash course up front, um, understanding the basics and being able to, to hire accordingly. Um, but at this point, you know, Amazon, we have a leader leading that business force across all of our brands. Same with Shopify, same with retail wholesale. So we're sold today in everywhere from Walmart, Target, Dick's Sporting Goods, Bloomingdale's, good coverage in nationwide retailers. Each of those areas really requires a specific expertise. So the folks that are running those teams for us have 10 plus years experience focused only on that. So they're much better than I'll ever be in that specific function. So let's let's fast forward a little bit. 2018 forward, what are the brands? How many brands did you bring on? And what did you sort of coalesce on a general niche or idea of, of, of what your focus would be? So we like to look at what we're doing and, and how we categorize it is really reinventing the retail model for the future. And a big part of that's omni-channel. A big part of that is having this shared team concept that's driving behind all the brands. So after we saw early success with Homesick, the next brand that we bought was Kalo. 
And Kalo is a silicone ring accessory business. Um, when we looked at it, frankly, I didn't know the silicone ring category was a category, but we got deep into that exploration. And before we knew it, we saw, you know, Steph Curry, LeBron James wearing this product, this brand. So they had something there. And when you, when you peel that back, doctors, nurses, anyone that works with their hands directly, sports athletes that can't wear metal on the field or on the court, this is really a category that makes sense for the longer term. So we met with those founders, ultimately bought that business from them as a majority transaction, which all of ours are. Um, the next business we bought was Gravity. So first and best weighted blanket business. We have a lot going with that business in the broader wellness category as we build it out. And not even announced yet at the time of, of taping this, but will be by the time it, it airs. Uh, we just acquired a business called Love Your Melon. LYM.com and tremendous business, outdoor business run by two founders. They've give, given back now almost $10 million to charity, mainly focused on pediatric cancer. So a great company with a great cause. And they've really just outperformed. So when you take a step back and, and see what categories are we focused on today, we have two main verticals, home and gifting, which is where homesick and gravity would sit and then sport and outdoor. And that's where both Kalo and LYM would sit. So what exactly is LYM? So LYM is an outerwear business, uh, mainly hats. So their bread and butter, their, their core product has been a winter hat um, with pom-poms. They have a lot of licensing with Disney um, and other companies. I mean, they've done a great job building a niche leader in that space. And mm -hmm. when we met the two founders, you know, which is common for us, it was an open discussion about how far they've come and where they want to take the business. And it was clear they were going to have to hire a tremendous amount of more people to get to success on Amazon and at retail, you know, what you and I discussed before. So the question becomes, do you want to build that yourself and hire those folks yourself? Or do you want to partner with someone like Wynn who has the resources set up to allow you to plug into and then really just keep doing what you're doing and focus on best product? First, is LYM only available on their website? Sort of how does it work right now? And what makes you, what sort of brought you over to make you realize that it, it has these potentials in these other sales channels? So we, we are not in the incubation business at the end of the day. We only take on businesses that we feel like have proven product market fit, have already scaled to a good amount of success. Um, it clearly checked that box for us. They have not been able to have success yet on Amazon and at retail. So primary business for them is Shopify, which we like. You know, one of the main differences between our, call it roll-up model, and a lot of the Amazon folks is we love the Shopify business. We own our customer. We own that information. It's direct. We have that direct relationship with them. It's not something that you can get on Amazon. Um, but we feel today Amazon is the largest shopping mall in the world. So we have to be there. We want to be there. We want all our brands to have a great presence on the platform. So, you know, really great opportunity for us to take it to some of our key retail accounts with a great presence, with the relationships that we already have, outperform on Amazon and start to lean in. You know, a lot of our team has come directly from Shopify and has deep background in e-commerce. So we also look at that channel when we bring on these new companies as an area for improvement that we can continue to scale. Got it. Has have you had difficulty cracking the Amazon code specifically for a lot of these are, you know, DTC only, only on their websites. And I feel like 
companies used to be more reticent. Now they're clearly not. They have to be where people are, et cetera. But I do feel like it's a it's a much more commoditized space, and so places that are that are more, quote unquote branded have difficulty doing well on Amazon. So how how are you? How have you sort of cracked that code if you have? It's a tough question. I think you know Amazon is a very different animal. Um, however, for us, we really put a lot of stock in the brand value. So, is someone going to Amazon and either looking for our product specifically, which they may be, they're typing in homesick candle, not just candle, or and or they're willing to pay ten times more for our branded product than they would for a non-branded product. So that's the other key difference with our business model. We need to prove to the customer why it's worth paying more dollar for dollar for our product um, for that branded experience. And that's what we really work to over deliver on because we're not going to be, you know, in the case of homesick, we're not going to be the low cost, you know, leading candle business on Amazon. However, you know, the, the proof is really in the results. We took homesick from zero on Amazon to one of the top scented candle businesses on Amazon in less than two years. That's how powerful that gift giving experience is. And so we have to lean into our strengths. Let's talk about sort of the founder side of this. Have you, you know, you say that you, you only choose companies that have proven themselves out. These are companies that I imagine are doing between maybe five and $15 million, though maybe that's incorrect. That's my own brain doing doing revenue. But like they have skin in the game, the founders do, and they probably think of it as an extension of themselves. And it's been hard for the first few years. How like are the conversations you have with them where you take, uh, you know, majority ownership difficult? Do you like what, what are what are founders usually looking for? Are they often looking for an exit and trying to find out what their what their next journey will be? I think it's really case by case. I think some founders are definitely looking at their options from an exit standpoint. I think other founders have gotten to a place where they understand they've built a great business that they're proud of, but they need some support. They need some help. So they start to explore what that looks like from a minority you know, investment perspective. They start to look at what a majority looks like. Um, we end up presenting really as a third and an interesting option, I think, you know, our entire ethos is founder driven. I consider myself a founder as a peer of theirs, of theirs. And I'm first just looking to give them my advice. You know, here's how I would think about it. Here's what I would do. Clearly, I'm biased. But, you know, I think they're at that decision point where they really need to make those tough decisions for the future of the business. And I think the best fit for us is a founder. You know, we've We've looked at businesses, 5 million is kind of our, our threshold on the lower end just to make sure we have that product market fit. And our range is really the 5 to 50. And we've seen several businesses now, you know, north of 20, north of 25 million that still really haven't executed against an Amazon and a retail strategy. So when we're in the conversation, we start introducing some of our team, um, these experts that have 10 plus years experience at the holding company level. And in some cases, not all, in the cases that we end up moving forward, you see the light bulbs going off that this is the cavalry that they've been waiting to show up. Oh, I've needed this Amazon person. This is exactly what I could have used. I needed this demand planning. We had made way too much product last year. Um, sourcing, all of a sudden we can, we can source product better. These are the things that they've really, they've known they've needed, but they haven't had the resources to be able to execute. And I think the one consistent um, characteristic of the companies we end up 
partnering with, and most of them that we speak to, they're bootstrapped. These are not folks who raised $20 million and all of a sudden want to make a move. These are folks that had an idea. It worked from the start. They reinvested, reinvested, reinvested that cash. Sometimes it's one founder, could be two, could be four. But they've gotten to a place where they really care about this business. They have a lot of personal skin in the game. And they really just wanted to scale with a great partner. And so for you, what is what is the overall goal? Do you have a specific set number of of portfolio brands you want that once they reach a certain runway, the business will be humming and everything will be good. What are you setting your sights on? Listen, we love the space. I think obviously I've been in e-commerce a long time. Um, the trends continue to work in our favor. Uh, e-commerce as a representation of all of retail, right? So that will continue. We like our positioning there. We're partnering with great founders and making bets on great brands that we plan to be around for the next 20 years plus. Right. So these are not kind of flash in the pan in and out. These are long state businesses that we're betting on for the long term. And right now we're focused on these two categories of home and gifting and sport and outdoor. Uh, but we've built up our holding company and our structure and our process in such a way that, you know, we plan to do a third vertical and a fourth and a fifth. And this will continue for you know, a decade plus to come. So we don't have any specific quota on brands specifically per year or in general. Um, but I do, I do see this as a very large business over time, but I want to be really proud and really, um, uh, feeling like we added a tremendous amount of value to all the companies that we choose to partner with. And so when are you going to enter into the next space? Do you think that's this year? Do you think it's a few years down the line? I think it could happen this year, honestly. I think we could end up in another vertical this year. And I think when you extrapolate this out and what does this look like at scale, I think you have 10 plus verticals. You have a holding company with a team managing all the operations. Uh, you have great brands thriving in that environment. You know, I know the, the holding company um, terminology dates back to the P&G and Unilevers, and they had a great mousetrap because they had huge advertising so they could send people into retail and they had their end caps. Um, the world has changed. I think it's still very difficult for different reasons and having some scale matters a lot. And we can offer that scale down to, you know, all of these brands that we bring on. Do you think now is specifically the right time to be an e-commerce holding company? Because I feel like three or four years ago, right when you launched, there, I feel like every few years there's been talk of it, maybe one launches, then you don't hear about it. Um, you've been around for a bit and we keep hearing about you, so kudos for that. Um, and I do you think that now, post-pandemic, we're at this new point where e-com accelerated to such a point that it's now this, this is now the viable option that we're going to continue to hear about? I can tell you, so I meet with founders every week. Um, you know, we have hundreds now that we've spoken to that are all at various degrees of, of conversation as a, as a fit for us. I think the macro environment's really good. I mean, you see a tremendous amount of fundraise happening on the Amazon side. The Amazon roll-up is a very efficient roll-up um, for a whole host of reasons. Um, however, they're not focused on branded businesses. So it's a completely different animal. I think for mm -hmm. us in the branded world, you know, we faced headwinds last year with Facebook iOS. Um, that has been one challenge. There are other challenges. There will be more challenges this year. So I think the game is really aggregating as much great talent as you can to figure out those problems. 
and being able to scale in an omni-channel approach. Omni-channel is key. When we hit COVID, we had websites that thrived and retail that dried up. We had retail that thrived, websites that dried up. So having that consistent three-prong revenue strategy is very, very important to us. Um, so I think, listen, I think it's a good time from a macro perspective to be in this market. I like to tell our team, you know, we believe we have the right model at the right time with the right people, right? And some of those things you just can't predict. So we feel good about that. At the same time, it's not getting any easier out there. I want to ask you about the Amazon side of things, because that's another area I find so fascinating. Um, and you're right that like, for the most part, it's an unbranded place. It's just, you find the top performing you know, two to three products, roll them up and soon you'll have, you know, something going. I feel like a lot of the bigger ones now are trying to get into the branded game and they're also now trying to get into the brick and mortar or at least more omni-channel game. What, what's your take on that? Do you think that, that, do you think that's viable that it can, you know, it's sort of a reverse of what you're doing, start starting with the marketplace and then going outward. So are, do you, yeah, what do you think? I think, uh, listen, I have a lot of respect for many of them. Many of them I know personally, Right, so I chat with them and and, and try to stay close um, in that regard. I think it's a real challenge to take non-branded businesses, what I would call the other way. So when you have a branded Shopify store, you can expand that to Amazon, and we do that from a branded store perspective. So, are we bidding on keywords for candles? Sure, but we're getting a tremendous amount of search for homesick specifically. Right, so. The outcome there is just different and the strategy is different. At retail, we can bring them our data as to how strong our e-commerce sales are, who our customers are that we own from our Shopify store and those direct customer relationships and find out where that fits within a Target or where that fits within a Bloomingdale's, right? And we've had really good success with that. I think with Amazon, I look at it more similar to Google SEO search 15 or so years ago, where you're dominating a keyword search, could be windshield wiper blades, could be kitchen bath mats. But the challenge is when folks type that in, they find it, they look at the top, you know, it's always the first page that gets 90% of the revenue, um, but they're not looking for a brand. So if all of a sudden you're not on that first page, you have a real problem. And separately, if you're trying to take that and launch a website around it, I'm not sure folks care enough about that name. So the direct is really tough. It almost becomes more of a as seen on TV type approach, mm -hmm. which is okay. It's just different. And then at retail, again, I don't know what the advantage is. So, you know, some side of it here is about scale and efficiency. And if you have scale and efficiency, you can always make it work. But I think on a non-branded basis, much more challenging to do direct and also at retail. All right. Makes sense. Let's talk about fundraising first. Is, is it like, are you also announcing this week uh, fund, uh, that you raised money? Is that true? We are. So we're announcing the LYM Love Your Melon um, partnership along with our new fundraise. How much? So the announcement's forty million, um, which is a very significant amount of capital. And if I look back to when I started this, also bootstrapped, um, tremendous progress. We. Spoke with a lot of folks in the market. You know, you and I talked about this market's been very active. Um, we really wanted to look for a partner that we felt was a true partner. You know, when you're dealing with 
both venture and private equity, sometimes it becomes about scale, scale, scale. Um, mm-hmm. We do want to scale quickly. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves to do that, but we wanted a partner who would be patient and understood the, the brand side of things. Um, and we ended up finding a great partner and we're now in discussions with them about, you know, what that looks like as far as expansion this year. We already have several brands that we're looking at that we think would be great additions to the portfolio. Wow. Well, congrats on raising the money. That's great news. I wanted to ask you just overall, and this is sort of two-pronged, but, you know, what have conversations for raising money been like for you specifically? But also, how has it been in your conversations with brands because it's been such a frothy environment for consumer-facing brands to raise money? Like, has that made it more difficult for you to be scrupulous about who you might work with, given that there's just a lot of money being thrown out there these days? It does. It, it creates challenges. Um, you know, as far as fundraising for for us, you, you need to develop thick skin. You know, you're going to get 100 no's before you get a maybe. So it's a really interesting um, journey. You know, I started out before all this at a family office making investments. So I've also been on the other side of the table. Uh, so it's a humbling experience to be on this side of the table and be getting a lot of negative feedback about, you know, whatever a particular investor might want to push on. Um, however, you know, proud of what we built and we had several folks really interested in coming in and, and funding that round. And we chose you know, the part where we chose really because we liked them the best as, as humans, as people. Um, but listen, this market, you know, when I sit with founders, um, you know, sometimes the very early discussion is like, well, I talked to this banker and I can get 15 times. There's a, there's a lot of high level discussion about what their company could be worth. And that's where, again, you know, first of all, this is the part of my job that I enjoy the most. Love meeting with these founders, love having the conversations, no expectation that they're going to think that we're the best option for them, but some do. And that gets me really excited to continue this. Um, but I have a direct conversation. I say, look, you may get that. That involves running a bank process. Um, I did that with my last business. We hired a bank to sell the agency. It was a success. Here are the positives. Here are the negatives. Here are the challenges. Um, here's the timeline associated with that. And you're going to put a lot of time and effort into this process that may or may not produce the result that you're looking for. So I just try to really give them some of my personal journey and experience um, as some background that they may or may not already have um, and let them make the decision. Because I think, you know, most of them, again, have been bootstrapped. So they haven't gone out and done a ton of fundraising. And this is something a little bit new for them. So if at the very least I can be a resource to help in the early exploration stages, that's what I look to do. We're just about running out of time, but uh, I want to ask you one more question, which will probably be like three questions, but just what what do you think are the big challenges ahead for not just your brands, but just brands in general? Do you think that it's going to be a less less frothy environment for consumer-facing startups raising money? And also, uh, like you mentioned, customer acquisition earlier, iOS changes, et cetera. Do you think there's going to be a big customer acquisition, I don't want to say wall, but like it feels like everyone has always said the writing's on the wall in terms of just, you know, hockey stick growth for a lot of online brands. And I've Seems like now that might actually be the case. Do you what 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 do you think is going to happen down the line in terms of building brands sustainably in, in relation to getting customers online? Yeah, I think in the in the general market, uh, challenges to be aware of that we spend a lot of time on. You know, scale is important. So scale when you're manufacturing and sourcing product, um, scale when you're thinking about distribution in retail. Um, 
diversification across different revenue channels, very important. So if you don't have scale across all three channels, that's going to be a real challenge. You're, you're leaving yourself exposed in that regard. Um, as far as online, you know, Facebook, iOS, that's something that as well we've seen um, never easy to manage, but easier to manage with scale. When you have multiple brands to look at what's happening and sharing those resources, you know, across and those positive learnings across, um, I'm, I'm sure we're going to see more challenges this year from a customer acquisition perspective. You know, we've had to really diversify where we're looking for those initial customers. A lot of the brands we end up partnering with had early success on Facebook and Instagram, and that has scaled to a tremendous level. But that's not a channel that's scaling organically easily between brackets anymore. So you have to be creative. You have to look, you know, different niche audiences. And that's where, you know, one of the first exercises we get into is doing a deep exploration of the brand and what it's about and who it speaks to. And you unpack that and then look at what media channels make the most sense. It could be TikTok, it could be Snapchat, it could be Facebook, Instagram, it could be a whole host of things that we look through. And then we start to experiment and we have data systems plug in to really scrape and manage that and create attribution models for us. But, um, you know, it, it's, I like to use sometimes a Game of Thrones reference with the, the founders. I'm like, winter's coming. Like it's not, it's, it's really challenging. And we feel the same challenges as all the founders do. All right. Well, Kyle, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Kyle. Really appreciate the time. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and send this podcast over to a friend who you know would enjoy it. See you next week. 